Good morning, church. I'm glad to see everybody here this morning. Um, as you know, pastor has COVID, and I was called on short notice, so I told everybody this morning going to be a really short sermon, but that may not be, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, does anybody know what the official national motto of the United States is? And there you go, right up, right up from In God We Trust. Um, if you ever wonder about that, just if you, if you have money on you, just look on your money. And on your dollar bills and on your coins, most of them say somewhere on, on that, In God We Trust. And most Americans carry this around with them. Uh, on July 30th, 1956, President Eisenhower approved a joint resolution of the 84th Congress declaring that in God we trust the national motto of the United States. Well, that only started in 1956, but the, the words have been on our money uh, since the uh, uh, later mid-1800s. In 1861, uh, the Secretary of Treasurer, who was Salmon P. Chase, instructed James Pollock, the director of the men at Philadelphia to prepare a motto that said, and he wrote it this way, he said, Dear Sir, no nation can be strong except in the strength of God, or safe except in his defense. The trust of our people in God should be declared on our national coins. You will cause a device to be prepared without unnecessary delay with a motto expressing in the fewest and tersest words possible this national recognition. I think that's really significant because we were a nation at one time, uh, a little over 100 years ago, where most people honored God. And again, most people carry these, these pieces of money around with them today that say, in God we trust. Uh, in December of 19, or 1863, the director of the Mint submitted designs for the new one cent coin, two cent coin, and three cent coin to Secretary Chase for approval. He proposed that upon the designs, either our country or our God or God our trust should appear as a model on the coins. In a letter to the Mint Director on December 9th of 1863, Secretary Chase stated, I approve your mottos, only suggesting that on that which the Washington observed, the motto should begin with the word our, so that to read our God in our country, and in the one with the shield, it should be changed to read in God we trust. And the Congress passed the act in April 22 of 1864 and uh, changed the composition of the one cent coin and authorized the minting of the two cent coin. Uh, and the mint director was directed to develop the designs for the coin for the final approval of the secretary. In God we trust was first approved on the 1864 two cent coin. So since 1864, we've had the, those words on our coin. So since nearly everybody is carrying these with them and, and is very familiar with that phrase, does that mean everybody in America trusts God? No, it doesn't. Uh, today I wanna to talk about what it means to trust God. And uh, uh, to find the answer, I wanna look at a familiar incident in the life of David. Now you, you all know this story. And, and, if, and the thing about stories in the Bible, uh, a lot of times we, we are so familiar with them that we become unfamiliar with them. And we don't look into the details of them. When I talk about David and Goliath, what's the first thing that comes into your mind? 
a little guy taking on a big guy. He knocks him down and kills him, and, 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 and it's a great story. But there's a lot more to it than that. And I want to go uh, through this whole story, uh, verse by verse. Now, we're not going to be dissecting every verse by any means, but I want us to see uh, what actually happened and what was said and, and how, God, how David trusted God. And this, this idea of trusting God is so important. What he did was all out of trust. Had nothing to do with the circumstances, except they were there and they were difficult. Uh, first of all, in verses one through three, we see the battlefield. Uh, it's a real location, by the way, in Israel, about 24 miles southwest of Jerusalem. And it says there uh, in in First uh, Samuel 17, uh, verse one. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. They were gathered at Succoth which belongs to Judah. And by the way, you'll forgive me if I mispronounce some of these names. Uh, belong to Judah in the camp between Sukkah and Ezekah and Ephes Damin. Saul and the men of Israel gathered and camped in the Valley of Elah and drew up the battle array uh, to encounter the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with the valley between them. So you can get that picture. Israel's over here. Philistines are over here. Their whole armies are gathered. If you look at a map of that place, it's a wide open place uh, with a brook uh, flowing down between somewhere in the valley. And, uh, and they're facing each other. And they're, and they're intent on uh, uh, battling together. And uh, there were many battles in the Old Testament, but this one was unique because a champion came out. In uh, verses 4 through 7, uh, we see uh, Goliath. Says, then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. That's over nine feet tall. Now we call him a giant. The Bible doesn't call him a giant, but you know, if you was to stand next to him, that's what you would probably say. But he's over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was clothed with scale armor, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. That's over 150 pounds. This man was big enough to carry 150 pounds of, uh, of uh, armor. Scale armor is where the scales overlap one another. It's very hard to pierce with a sword or with a spear. Uh, he also had bronze greaves, that's uh, like shin guards, on his legs and a bronze javelin. And a javelin, by the way, is for throwing, uh, slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear and his spear is for thrusting. You know, he's carrying a javelin on the back, a spear in his hand, uh, was like a weaver's beam, and the head of this spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. Uh, 600 shekels of iron is about 16 pounds. Now think about this. This is a, this is a spear that a man is carrying, and the head of that spear, just the, just the point part, weighs as much as a bowling ball. And, of course, there's a counterweight. It has to be a counterweight at the other end to sort of balance. And so that spear probably weighed uh, over 30 pounds, maybe 35 to 36 pounds. Uh, not a little, not a little spear. That's pretty intimidating. Uh, and he also, he wasn't alone. We don't ever think about the guy that was with him, but he had a guy carrying a shield in front of him. So he was, he was ready to fight. He was well armored, and he was huge. And he had a shield in front of him. A guy was carrying the shield, so if he saw something coming, he could make the move while. Goliath was ready to fight. That's the kind of a challenger 
that was facing Israel. Uh, and they saw this man uh, coming down into the place wherever he was going to talk. And he made a challenge in verses 8 through 10. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, Why do you come out to draw up in battle array? Am I not the Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then he will become, we will, we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. Again, the Philistine said, and this is important, by the way, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. I defy, he said, the ranks of Israel this day. And, and he gave them a simple choice. Uh, he said, just have somebody come down and fight me. We'll just deal with this battle once and for all. We don't have to have everybody die. don't have to have a lot of blood. Just him and me, and whoever wins, that army wins. Pretty simple challenge. This man was totally prepared. He was totally confident, and he was totally arrogant. He says, I defy you. I, I, you, you guys are just, you're so weak, you just can't do anything. I defy you. That's what he was saying. And how did Israel respond? Of course, they just jumped up and said, yeah, we're ready for this. <laughs> no, it says when Saul, and you notice Saul is included here. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Here's, here's Israel, God's people, God's army, being challenged by one man, and one man scared them off. And this was a big man, by the way. You know, it wasn't any small person. It wasn't any small challenge they were up This was a huge person. And, but they were totally uh, afraid. They were totally dismayed. So we change the scene now. We look at David from verses 12 to 15. Now, if you look in the previous chapter, you'll find out that he, he had been anointed by, the, by the, uh, the judge as the new king in Israel, but he hadn't been put in place. As long as Saul was alive, David was respectful to his kingship, and he always submitted to Saul's kingship and defended Saul's kingship until God put him in the place. But he'd already been anointed, but he was still just a shepherd boy. And even though he was anointed, he didn't get a lot of respect, even from his family. We'll see that as we get into this story. It says in, in verse 12, Now David was the son of the Ephratite of Bethlehem in Judah, whose name was Jesse. <clears throat> and Jesse had eight sons. Jesse was old in the days of Saul, advanced in years among men. The three older sons of Jesse had gone after the Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and the second to, to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. And David was the youngest. Now the three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock in Bethlehem. David didn't go out to war. His brothers did. He was a young guy, uh, apparently not even old enough to go, go to the battle. Uh, but he, but he uh, became a delivery boy for uh, his father. Verse 16 uh, says, the, the Philistine came forward morning and evening for 40 days, took his stand, then Jesse sat, said to David his son, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this roasted grain, these ten loaves, and run to the camp for your brothers. Bring also these ten cuts of cheese to the commander of their thousand, and look to the welfare of your brothers. 
and bring back news of them. For Saul and they and all the men of Israel are in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. Uh, did you notice in that verse 16 there, the Philistine came forward morning and evening for 40 days. Now think about this, 80 times, 80 times he came before the, the army of Israel and defied them, probably saying the same kinds of words, the same phrases over and over again. Send out a man to fight me. If he wins, uh, then you win. If I win, then we win. I defy you. Imagine that. 80 times he came to made that challenge. And in verses 20 to 25, we see that David heard this challenge, and he becomes aware of the real situation. Verse 20 says, For David arose early in the morning and left the flock with a keeper, and took the supplies and went as Jesse had commanded him, just as a delivery boy here. And he came to the circle of the camp while the army was going out to battle in array, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines drew up in battle array, army against army. Then David left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper and ran to the battle line and entered in order to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath named Goliath, was coming up from the army of the Philistines, and he spoke these same <coughs> words. You see, the same words over and over again. And now David hears it. And David says, David heard them. When all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. I imagine they'd been doing that for all those days. But whenever he came down, they were running away. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who's coming up? Surely he's coming up to defy Israel. And it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Now what's that tell you about Saul? By the way, who, should have, who do you think should have answered the challenge of Goliath? Could have been the king. And the king was running away. He was scared and, and uh, 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 frightened just the same way the rest of the, ar the army was. But he should have been the one. And instead of, of being the one, he set up a bribe. He set up a prize. If, you, if, if there's anybody in our army who will fight and de defeat this man, he gets, he gets rewarded very well. So David heard all this. And, and then in verses uh, uh, 26 to 27, uh, it shows David's response to that. By the way, when, when uh, uh, Goliath challenged Israel, you know what the word Israel means? Anybody know what the meaning of that word is? You know, God, Jacob uh, was, was in uh, Genesis 32, 28, it says, God said to Jacob, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. The, the very name uh, Israel means God prevails. Now think about that. You're an army whose name is God prevails and you're running away from the enemy. Uh, just keep that in mind because that's really what's behind the defying the armies of Israel. So in verse 26, it says, Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? 
That's an amazing statement. Who is this guy? Who is, he's nothing compared to God and compared to you. You're the army of the living God. Now, I think you can see some life application here that I'm trying to push for through this message. We need to know who we are. And Israel needed to be reminded of who they were. But David knew this all along. He was just a kid. But he had ex apparently had some experiences with God as his, as his Lord, his living God. And he's seen the power of God in his own life. So uh, he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? The people answered him in, in, in accord with his word saying, thus it will be done for the man who kills him. They're still afraid. They still haven't got it. But they say the man who kills him is going to be rewarded. Now, you would think that after David make, made such a, a public announcement, so to speak, and um, his brothers obviously heard it, uh, they would have stood behind him. But look at what happens. Now, in verse 28, it says, Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger burned against David. And he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart, for you come down in order to see the battle. Now that's some response, isn't it? Have you ever had anybody response when you, when you make a stand for your convictions? Have you ever had anybody respond like that? Oh, this is all about you. You don't really want it that way, do you? You don't really mean this. You have something in your heart that you're hiding from everybody else. But I've seen it. That can be a devastating kind of an attack. And, and I've, I've been attacked that way in my life. I've had my motives mis, misunderstood. But Elliot was just another man who, didn't, who had lost his perspective on who God was in his life. David hadn't. So he responded that way. But then verse 29 said, But David said, What have I done now? What, was it not just a question? Then he turned away from him to another and said the same thing. And the people answered the same thing as before. This didn't put David off at all. He was still going to get to the bottom of what was going on. So David, uh, in the next few verses, we see David's offer to Saul, uh, based on his past experience with the Lord, by the way. Verse 31 says, When the words which David spoke were heard, they told him to Saul. See, his, you know, when you tell a secret, sometimes it gets around. Well, he was telling something. It got around clear up to the king. And by the way, the king already had been familiar with David. He knew who David was. Uh, and so he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Now imagine this. Here's a little shepherd boy coming to a king and saying, Tell everybody not to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid any longer. I'm going to take care of this situation. Now if you, if you look back, you have a picture of that in your mind. That's kind of a odd picture. His whole army, all arrayed, and some of those were warriors from their youth, by the way. They were trained. David wasn't a warrior. He was a shepherd. And here he is before the king saying, I'm going to take care of this Philistine. So then Saul said, uh, then Saul said to David, 
you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're but a youth, while he's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and, and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued him from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. You notice this is the second time he has called him an uncircumcised Philistine. You know, that's just like calling him a dog in the eyes of, of the, the people around him. So this guy is nothing. And I'm gonna I'm gonna take care of him. Since he has taunted the armies of of the living God. There again, the second time he's mentioned these this is the armies of the living God. So in uh, verses 37 to 40, 41 rather, we see David facing his giant. And uh, here is where we're getting to the point of the whole point of trust, of what it means to trust God. <clears throat> Verse 37, and David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. This is very significant because in the previous verse, uh, it says your servant both killed the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. I killed them, he said. But in this, in the next phrase out of his mouth, it says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. See, he wasn't, even, even when he was a shepherd, even when he was being attacked and his animals were being attacked by these foes, and by the way, lions are pretty fierce and bears are pretty fierce. You know, I wouldn't want to face one barehanded. And yet he did, and he trusted God, and God, he recognized that God is the one who delivered. That's what it means to trust in the Lord. It's, it's not resting in your own strength. It's resting in the fact that God is the one who's able to deliver. Saul said to David, <clears throat> and I guess this is because he, after 40 days, I think Saul's ready, he's in his last resort. And, and this is going to be his last resort. Saul said to David, go, and may the Lord be with you. And then Saul clothed David with his garments and put a bronze helmet on his head and he clothed him with armor. David girded his sword over his armor and tried to walk for he had not tested them. Now imagine this. Saul is trying to put his kind of armor on David. Did David need this armor? Well, you would think so. I mean, look what he's going against. The guy he's going against is, is very well protected. He's very well weaponized. And he's ready for a fight. And Saul is trying to help David out by saying, well, you know, you, you can go, but let me help you out here. I've got some devices that you can take with you that'll help you to fight in this battle that you're about to go into. I think it's a very logical thing for him to do. But uh, it says he hadn't tested them. Uh, so David said to Saul I cannot go with these for I have not tested them and David took them off he took and here's the, here's, the, here's the armor he took he took his stick in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook 
And he put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had, even his pouch. And his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Instead of this armor that Saul had offered him, all he took with him was a stick and some stones and a sling. And that was it. And he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine came on and approached David with the shield bearer in front of him. So here's this little guy, little shepherd boy, when all he's got is his sticks and stones. And, and here's the Philistine who has a helmet, uh, garments, uh, shield, arm, shield in front of him, armor on his body, protection even on his legs, and, and a huge spear in his hand, and a, and a javelin that he could throw uh, slung to his back, coming at the shepherd boy. That's the picture. And it didn't stop there. He gave a threat in verses 42 to 44. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. Anybody ever disdain you? You ever feel like somebody was looking, really looking down on you and saying, what, what have we got here? Who do you think you are? Coming to me. That's the kind of a look he was giving him and the kind of thoughts he was throwing toward him. He disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy with a handsome appearance. The Philistine said to David, am I a dog? And by the way, I think David pretty much called him that saying he's that uncircumcised Philistine. Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. I think that's significant too. You know, David had a god, but this Philistine also had gods. More than one, obviously. And he was per perhaps putting his trust in those gods. Those in the Bible, you know what the Bible says about false gods. So he cursed him by his gods. And the Philistine also said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. So that's quite a, quite a threat. He disdained him. He looked down on him. He pitied him. I, I would even think, saying, How can you possibly beat me? Imagine the arrogance and the, the self-confidence this man had coming out. The whole army had fled from him. He expected this guy to do the same thing. But David makes a declaration, and I think this declaration is one of the greatest declarations of faith in the Bible. Uh, verses 45 to 47. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you, and I will give the dead bodies of the armies of the Philistine this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. I think that's a beautiful speech. And that was not a speech without confidence and power. That wasn't just something he did to try to scare Goliath. I mean, how could he? As insignificant as David was standing there with no, no real weapons and no real protection, and Goliath had it all. But, but he said it and he meant it. And he put the responsibility of the defeat of Goliath on God rather than himself. 
And that's an important point. That's an important thing to understand when you face trials in your life that are bigger than you. You have a God or a God who is bigger than the trial, bigger than the giant that you're facing. We'll get into that a little bit later. So he said the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. You notice he includes Israel. He doesn't just say my hands. And here's the outcome, verses 48 to 52. Then it happened when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David. And think about this next phrase, that David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. He didn't just sort of creep up there and say, I've got to be careful now. No, he ran at the Philistine. Do you think Goliath might have been surprised by this? He ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine, and he put his hand into his bag and took from it a stone. Now, he had five of them in there. He only took one, and he slung it, and it struck the Philistine in his forehead. Now, think about all that armor, all the place that, that stone could have gone, and the shield in front of him. He got it past the shield. He got it past the armor, right into the middle of his forehead, the most vulnerable part and the most sensitive part that he could have hit with that stone. If that stone had hit him in the heart area, it would have just been a bruise. If it hit him in the arm or the leg, any other place, it wouldn't have had any effect, but it hit him in the forehead. That's, that, you know, God must have guided that thing, right? Yeah. Obviously. And, and uh, struck him on his forehead and the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. Thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in David's hand. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his, his sword and drew it out of the sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. Did anybody notice there that he killed him twice? Everybody, anybody ever thought about why that way? Uh, I don't know. I do know that the first time, the people could see him fall. And perhaps he was just knocked out. I think, I think he was probably dead at that point. But then he took the man's sword. He didn't have a sword with him. He took Goliath's sword and cut his head off. Now everybody knew, yeah, he's really dead. He's, he's been, he, he was killed dead. Uh, kind of like that old raid commercial. Kills bugs dead. And that's what David did. Killed him dead. And that's how I look at it. So, uh, but there was no sword in David's hand. He, he took his sword, killed him, cut off his head. When, de when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. The men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the slain Philistines lay along the way to Sharam, even to Gath. And Ekron. You notice it says, even to Gath. Where was Goliath from? Goliath of Gath. And the, the, the Philistines ran clear back to Gath. And they were killed along the way. Uh, amazing story, isn't it? And, and it's not David prevailed over, over Goliath. But it wasn't David that did it. it. He gave glory to whom glory was due to God. So how does this story relate to us? Again, it's all about trust. It's all about confidence in God. Our challenges are often 
bigger and stronger than we are. I know some of you are facing some real challenges today. Uh, I've been, I've faced some challenges uh, in my life. They're bigger than me. And as much as I try and as much energy and, and, and things I can draw out of myself, I can never meet the challenge. And sometimes I, I feel defeated by my circumstances. I feel helpless and frustrated. Uh, Goliath was like that to the armies of Israel. His presence was so formidable and threatening that the people of God lost their perspective. They forgot that they were who they were, and they forgot who God is. And we get in that position sometimes. Circumstances are very strong in our lives. And in our world today, this very day, we have some difficult circumstances. We have government that we don't like, and most of you don't like the government, I suppose. Uh, we have uh, diseases going on that's causing lots of problems. It's, it's, it's caused some problems in our church as far as our ability to fellowship and serve our community and things like that. We have, we have some giants that we can't have much control over and, and a lot of confusion going on. That's the kind of a guy that Goliath was. He brought confusion. He brought uh, conflict to the Israelites to where they lost their perspective of who they were and who their God was. And sometimes we get uh, barreled over by our circumstances. Uh, never forget who you are. If you're a Christian, you're a child of the creator of the universe. Think about that. If you're a Christian, you're a child of the, of the creator of the universe. Who, and he's on your side. He's more powerful than any giant that you might have to face. You don't have to respond. Or to your circumstances with fear and anxiety. That's what Israel did. It was fear and anxiety that they responded with. You don't have to. Because you have a Lord who is greater than your challenge. Now put your confidence in the Lord. Trust Him as you take whatever action you need. Uh, take those things to God. God will handle the details. We can have peace and conflict, by the way. I've just I've experienced this time and again in my life. I've had challenges in my life. I have a challenge today that, that I face that is very difficult for me. But I can put that in God's hand and know that he's going to take care of things. And I can trust him whatever the outcome. So I want to look at this. It's not going to take very long now, but I want to look at five things that David did. <clears throat> and, and he did the right way that we can maybe take home with us and, and think about. First of all, and I've been talking about perspective, David had the right perspective. Of all the army who appeared ready for battle, he appeared to be the least prepared, didn't he? All the rest of the army, they had their weapons, they had their, their armor, their protection, their shields and so forth, but David didn't. But he have, had what he needed. He armed himself with, with uh, what he knew. Uh, he knew the weapons he was using. He knew how to use that sling. He knew how to use that stick. He didn't, know, he didn't necessarily know how to use the javelin or the, the spear that Goliath carried. He probably couldn't even much pick it up. But he had the weapons he knew about and he knew were effective. Uh, he, he trusted God, saying, The battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And he ran to the fight. And that's what trust is about. Uh, do you think David had any fear? I, I think he did. He was a human being. He had a fear. And I've... I've struggle with this in my life. If you have fear, that's okay. The difference between 
coward, cowardice and, and courage is what you do with that fear. You can, be, you can have courage and still have fear. It's what fear drives you to do that's important. And I think David, in his fear, he still was trusting God. I, like to, I always like to think back of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're one of my favorite characters in the Bible because they were challenged uh, with death. Uh, you, if you don't bow down to me, you're going to go in that fire. Can God save you? And he says, yes, he, they said, yes, he can. But if not, we're not going to bow down anyway. You see, they were willing to go into the fire. And I know, I'm afraid of fire. I'm sure they were too, but they were trusting God. And God didn't have to save them, save them in that fire. Do you know that? He didn't have to, but he did. He, in fact, his presence was there with him. And uh, I think David had this same kind of an attitude. He ran toward the enemy. He had the right perspective. Second thing is, David rejected Saul's armor. That's, a, that's very significant to me because uh, do you think he went, I mean, in, in reality, in physically, he went into that battle with armor, without armor, but do you think he went, really went in without any armor? No, he had the protection of God. You see, you don't see in that story anything that happened to David. Uh, we don't know if Goliath even threw his spear or, or javelin or, or whatever. We don't know that he, he wasn't protected. doesn't say he was. But he wasn't touched. He came out without any damage. And so he went in with armor. And we, by the way, have the armor of God. Uh, you know, in Ephesians chapter 6, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord, the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God. We have tools that we can use in our battle. And, and you have to, by the way, one of the things that I want you to understand in all this our, our uh, uh, source is the scriptures. If you don't know the Bible, if you don't read the Bible, study the Bible and find out about what God has for you, you're going to be facing that giant alone. If you don't know that God's with you and God's there to protect you and God has this handled, and you don't get that any place but in the scriptures, uh, you're going to face that battle alone. And, and when you face that kind of a battle, you're going to fail. Uh, it, you know, let me just say that plainly. You're going to fail without the word of God that work in your life. So he had that armor. And you, when we find out as Christians about that armor in, in the scriptures, uh, we have the, the uh, uh, truth. We have righteousness. We have the gospel of peace in that armor. Uh, we have the, the helmet of salvation. We have the sword of the spirit. We have all those things. They're weapons that we can use in our battle. <clears throat> Certainly another thing David did was to use his ammunition that he picked up along the way. He didn't go that there barehanded. He had what he knew about. He had a sling and a staff with him. He picked up those five, five stones. And we have ammunition that we can use in our battles too. Uh, we have things from the promises of God in the scripture, such as the armor of God that we talked about already. We have the fruit of the spirit at work in us. We have wisdom when we ask in faith. Uh, we have God's very presence in the help of, in time of need and many other provisions and tools that God's given us for our battles. But if you don't know uh, the scriptures, if you're not familiar with what God has provided, again, you're going to have to face that battle alone. 
The fourth thing is David had uh, knowledge and confidence. He had the knowledge that he was right. And he had the confidence in God to take action. Uh, he recognized the battle was not his and that God was on his side. We have God on our side as Christians, no matter what circumstances of life or whatever the outcome is, we have God on our side. Romans 8, uh, 31 to 39, I'm not going to read the whole passage and I don't have it on screen, but it says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for, for us, who is against us? I love that. If God is for us, who is against us? And, and if you want to do this in an idea of trust, instead of saying if, say since. Since God is for us, who is against us? Because God is for us. He is for his children. You remember when uh, Paul was on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians? And Jesus confronted him. What did Jesus say to, Paul, to, to Saul at that time? He said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? God took it personally that he was persecuting Christians. And God takes personally the trials that you face. So we need to understand that. We have God on our side. If God is for us, who is against us? He, he who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us, how will he not also with him to give us all things and then down in verse 35 it says who will separate us from the love of Christ will tribulation think about what you're facing today will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword or sword uh, verse 37 says but in all these things we are overwhelmingly we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that great? There isn't anything in this life, and, and that, the things I mentioned in these few verses are, cover a lot of territory. There's nothing in our life that can separate us from God and his love, and he's there all the time. We can face our trials in that kind of confidence. And finally, the fifth point is that God was no fool. God was no fool. I'm sure that many people thought he was. Thought that David, I said, God, David was no fool. Uh, I'm sure many thought he was a fool. Uh, people will look at us as foolish for trusting God. When you tell somebody that you're facing something and, well, I'm just going to trust God with this, they say, well, how can you possibly trust in something you can't even see, can't even feel? You know, we live in a society today that's based not on logic anymore, it's based on feeling. I feel badly. You make me feel bad. And so I'm going to be mad at you and it's your fault that I'm having troubles. That, that thought process is going on all the time anymore. But David was no fool. He knew who, he, who we knew. He took the weapon he was familiar with. He gathered the ammunition that he needed on the way. He put his trust in the Lord and ran toward the enemy. And uh, he defeated that enemy. Let's, let's pray, Father. Father, thank you so much for what you taught us today. Help us, Father, as we face our trials. 
to trust you, Lord. Help us to know what it means to trust you. We thank you for the trials that we have. You said in, in your word that we should thank you for the trials that we face. And we do, Lord, because we know they're there for our, our good and for growing us, helping us to come closer to you. We pray that you might take these things that we talked about this morning, put them into our lives, Father, and be glorified by it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.